the body and blood of Jesus Christ. I think no matter how long you've been uh, in the Christian faith, that phrase I think still lands. It can land different ways. Um, when the early church, the first Christians, would gather uh, in homes, they didn't have churches. It was kind of like a home church movement. The early Christians would gather, and there was a lot of suspicion around them. They were a very different community to their neighbors. Uh, and the accusations leveled against these early Christians, they were uh, sometimes called cannibals because they would hear they're eating the flesh of a man and they're drinking the blood of a man. And the early church, uh, the early gatherings were different than ours. You couldn't be a guest and see Holy Communion, what we call Holy Communion. Only those baptized Christians, they would have a church service and then everyone could join, whoever wanted to, Christian or not Christian. But then when the part of the service came where they're gonna have Holy Communion, they invited all the folks who were guests and not part of the community, so then they were invited to leave, and only the baptized Christians behind closed doors would have the body and the blood of Christ. So the rumors. And it was a deep mystery. And eventually when the Roman authorities got involved, the persecutions began, they investigated that reality, and then they discovered, oh, I'm not sure why they call it that. They're just having bread, they're having some wine, and then they all stand up and make promises to be kind and loving to their neighbors and to be helpful in their communities. That's all it is. Of course, since they didn't swear fealty to Caesar, they were still rounded up, arrested, and often murdered. All these events surrounding the Lord's table. And here we are, about 2,000 years later, and we still... Any given Sunday, you can walk into a church and you're invited to the Lord's table. And that can mean so much to each one of us, right? For some of us, we've been coming to the Lord's table since we were yay high. It's part of our life. It's part of the, the traditions that form our families, form our identity, receiving, taking. For some of us, it's very new. It's a new experience. And for some of us, well, we're processing what it could mean. And so that's why we spend at least one day, or at least two days, really, in the Christian year, to talk about this important moment in the life of our worship. What does it mean? Is it just bread? Is it just wine? Is it just the ritual that we do because it's what we've been doing and it's nice, still good to do it? The, the brief answer has to be no. There's something that happens here. And we've heard it in the readings. But if I could just put it, put it in a sentence, what happens when we come to the Lord's table? Here it is. In case I missed the point at the end, you get it now. Um, we come to the Lord's table to grow in our dependence and love of God. We come to the Lord's table to recognize who we are, our true humanity, which is people who have been created by God and come to him for help, for love. And we receive food from God that transforms our lives and empowers us to do that which we could not do on our own. At least three things there. 
right? We're learning to trust God. That's what we do when we come to communion. We're trusting the Lord. We're learning to trust. Often we can't. And then as we receive this food, in a a very beautiful and divine way, we're transformed into people that we're always meant to be. I'm very decidedly trying to not use a lot of theological terms right now because I want clarity. I want you to understand kind of the, the actions that are occurring because they have real consequences. When we come here, something's happening. It's important to see why it has to happen. All right? And we heard uh, Melissa read the Deuteronomy reading. That's Moses. It's Mo- that reading takes place near the end of his life, and he's delivering like the final sermon to his people before he's going to pass away. And he's kind of recounting the history, what's going on. And you may have seen movies like The Prince of Egypt, or if, uh, the more classic, The Ten Commandments, Charlton Heston. I grew up with that. It's, uh, it is well. Check it out. And maybe you know the story. The people of God, the ancient Hebrews, were enslaved in Egypt. They were slaves. They were forced to work for 400 years. And they're crying out, God, rescue us. And God hears them. And God sends Moses, a man raised as nobility in Egypt, cast out, and he returns. Also a Hebrew. And God uses Moses. Miracles, ten plagues, all those wonderful things. And God uses Moses to rescue his people from slavery in Egypt. And you've got kind of scene. Moses, staff, the Red Sea parts, and the people walk across the Red Sea to a new land. They walk across dry land. They've been rescued. And usually, if you see a movie or a play adaptation, that's where the story ends. And everyone says, hooray! And the story seems to end there, but it actually doesn't. See, what I love about the Bible, it's actually very realistic about human nature. And the truth is, is that these people have been rescued. They were slaves for 400 years. They had a slave mentality. They had a slave psychology. The way that they react to the world, to themselves, to God, is ill-shaped. And you don't have to experience slavery to understand how that works. Each one of us in this room, I'll speak for myself. I'm not going to keep this on you. I'll talk for myself. I've had to do counseling for many years. And I've just learned how uh, the challenges that I've experienced, even from childhood, the trauma that I've experienced has shaped me and the way that I interpret the world is often not the most helpful way, not the most healthy way. My interpretations, faulty as they can be, then lead to cycles of hurt and more trauma. Therefore, as a parent, at least, I'm not a human being in this world that we share, I have to take stock of who I am, seek for healing, psychological reintegration, so that those cycles end. Does that make sense? All right. The people of God had to have that moment in the desert after they were rescued, because they had God was sending them miracle after miracle, and they were taking the miracles and insulting them. Doubting God, talking back, acting evil. And so God says, we're going to spend 40 years in this desert. The promised land is over there. It's probably a three-day walk. But we're going to spend 40 years walking around, and I'm going to teach you to trust me. You're going to, those slave habits of doubt, self-hatred, fear, 
We're going to bury those in this desert. You're no longer going to receive a pittance from your slave masters, a little gruel to me. I'm going to feed you heavenly bread called manna. And as the story goes, it would rain down in heaven, kind of like snowflakes. And you could bring it together and bake bread with it. You could just eat it. It tasted kind of like a honey cake, it says. And that whole moment was for God to say, you're going to learn to trust. And it won't be ill-placed trust to slave masters who use and abuse you. You're going to learn to trust me, your creator God, who loves you. And it's going to take time. Your bad habits don't die overnight. But in time, as you receive this heavenly bread, the manna, and you eat it, it's going to transform you and you're going to become a community that not only loves and trusts your creator, but that you're going to share that love and trust with the nations around you. It was bread. It fed them. But as Moses writes at the end of his life, he says, you were given heavenly bread, and you still have the same old habits. But one day it's going to be different. Because the truth is that at the beginning of that nation's history, they were supposed to share God's love with every, all the nations around them, and they didn't. They became just like the nations. They grew into a powerful um, kingdom, and they enslaved those around them, and used and abused them to such an ugly degree that God took away their nation. No more of that. And so God did what God does. He came to his people once again. And this time it wasn't through a tornado or through fire or through these incredible uh, miracles. God came humble, meek, and mild as a little child. He was born into this world as Jesus. And this child grows up to be a man and he shares God's message of love, of hope, of peace. Not only does he speak it, but he lives it. And you can read his story. His life, everyone loved him. And the only people that hated him were the people who had power that they were going to give up if they were going to treat people fairly. They hated him. Everyone else responded to Jesus. And he said, I'm God, come to you. I'm bringing you God's love. In fact, I'm bringing it to you in a very special way. I am God. Come to you. And eons ago, you got bread. I'm bringing you something infinitely better. Because he points out the, the manna that you got in the desert, you eat that, sure, it feeds you, but you still die. Right? And we know that. Each one of us here has an appointment we cannot miss. Our life's end. But Jesus says, I'm going to bring you food that as you eat it, death is not the end for you. Because you're taking part of my life. And death is not the end of me. That's Jesus. Now, that could be easy to say. I mean, I just said it out loud. I could. You know, we've known and used cult leaders to say all kinds of ridiculous things. So Jesus, is he part of that group? Well, no. Interestingly enough, when he said, death couldn't kill me, and they rounded him up, and then they killed him on the cross, they buried him in the tomb, and guess what happened? Easter. Death didn't hold him. He literally was raised from the dead. We call it the resurrection. Resurrected to a new and more beautiful life. 
That's Jesus. That's the person that we follow. And then Jesus says, hey, remember that food that I promised you? Yeah, that still happened. Here's this bread. Here's this wine. And here you are, my community, my friends. And if you take this, I'm going to give you of my own self for the healing of your life and therefore the healing of the world. And that's why every Sunday we gather at the Lord's table. Now I want you to notice an implication here. And it's important to notice this because we can miss it. See, Jesus could have used anything, right? He could have got a maybe some bananas and grapes, right? Maybe a little pepsicane. I don't know. He could have used anything. Hey, gather and use these things and you eat this uh, mystical, magical following. But he but he was really audacious. He said, my flesh, my blood. And then we heard the people around him saying, whoa, who can accept this? It sounds really odd. Now, they might have thought, cannibalism, okay. In this room, maybe we're not thinking of that. But it does sound odd or uncomfortable, maybe. And it should, because here's kind of the, the key. Jesus gives us this bread and wine to heal our lives in the world. But notice he's giving himself, which the implication, only I can heal your life and heal this world. Jesus said, I know Jesus was born in the Roman Empire. He would have been aware, keenly aware. There are many other philosophies, many other theologies, many other systems. Many other political arrangements. There's so much diversity this time. I know we like to think that we're really diverse with globalization. The Roman Empire enforced their version of globalization in the known world. It was incredibly diverse. And in that milieu, Jesus says, just to be clear, for the healing of your life and the world, my flesh, my blood, not Jimmy's and mine, right? Not Socrates and me. Their bodies are not part of this conversation. If you want to be renewed, if you want to be healed, come to me. Right? If you want the world to be transformed, old Timmy, Plato, will not go on the cross. And if they did, it would have no effect. Because only I can go on the cross. And only I can give my life. And only my death can transform your death from an endless pit of darkness to a door to new life God. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why every Sunday we gather at Jesus' table, not Seth's table, not Bill's, right? Not Aristotle's. Just Jesus. And he honors himself. And we come, you notice, I mean, we all have different ways, but if you grow up in the church, usually you're taught, hands folded. You receive the bread. I don't know if you think of uh, Oliver. He said, I have some more, you know, this little orphan kid. Can I have some more bread? And you know, maybe being a little cute there, but that's actually what's happening. When we come to the Lord's table, we come as his children. And we open our hands and we say, we receive the bread. You know what you're saying, Jesus? We're supposed to be saying, Jesus. I don't come here with my resume. I don't come here with my achievements. I don't come here with my. I'm so competent and capable, I don't come with any of that. I'm actually letting all that go. I'm coming to you as a child. Because if you go to a child and you have a cake and 
And they come to you, they come with no pretense. Little plate. Right? No pretense about it. And if they try to be sneaky, you see it. Well, I cleaned my room, Dad. Uh, <clears throat> try that. Right? You know, you know what's real. God, I'm such a good person. Look at all the good things I've done. That never counted. It doesn't matter. I didn't die for you because you did all these cool things. But look how impressive I am, Jesus. Look at all the things that you do. People really like me. Yeah, I didn't die for you because you were really liked. In fact, at the times when people really didn't like you, I still loved you. I still died for you. You're here because I love you. So we close our hands. We receive the love of God and we eat it. I mean, you have your own prayers that you have in your mind. I'm not in your mind. I'm not in your heart. I'm God's there. And I know that you have your journeys. I know that you have your suffering. I know that you have your struggles. I know that the things are not resolved in your minds. And every Sunday you come here, you bring your whole life into these doors, and you open your hands and you receive. I'm not privy to that. My privilege is just to give you the food that Jesus gave you. It's not mine. Jesus gives you the bread. You take it. And then you, your life, you stand alone. You create in that moment. And God sees your heart. First, know this. He loves you. No matter what you've done that week, you're loved. His whole desire for your healing is coming at you. You receive that bread and you eat it. God, the master healer, who knows what you need, feeds you his divine food to empower you to do that which you couldn't do on your own. Because we've talked about this. Each one of us in this room has someone we're not forgiving. There's someone we're not talking to. There's someone we're not saying, I'm sorry to you. I shouldn't say I'm sorry to you. Right? There are, there are cycles in our lives of repetitive trauma that we participate in because we get comfortable in our brokenness and we feel trapped. And how do we get out of this? Well, truth is, on your own, you can't. And a solid counselor will also tell you they have limits to what they can do. But Jesus, the master healer, has no limits. And so when you come to him, he gives you his body, he gives you his blood. You're being healed. You're getting his life. It's not just a remembrance, oh, look at the cross. It's not just that. More is that. And that's what we're called to trust. Trust that God loves you. Trust that he's with you. Trust that when he invites you to dinner, when you come to the family table, trust that he's giving you exactly what you need. Well, that's what's happening. So, as I used to say, be a good cheer. There's hope in this. My friends, God loves you. The table, this food is yours for the table. All you gotta do is trust in God. That's it. You know it's hard, it's time. You trust. To that end. Gracious and loving God. Lord, we thank you that uh, though often we struggle to trust you and often in the day-to-day of our lives we forget you. God, you don't forget us. You invite us every day to come to you, to bring our hearts to you, to bring our struggles to you, to bring our hurt, our loneliness to you. And you give us exactly what we need 
So Lord, as we approach your table this morning, I pray that you will continue the healing of our hearts. I pray that as you give us exactly what we need, that we would then have the courage to take that step forward to forgive that person who needs to hear. To say I'm sorry the person needs to hear. To take that step in ending cycles of hurt and self-destruction. Thank you that you give us your life and your love. We pray all this and thank you in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.